back to the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to start back in Acts chapter 13, and, and uh, Lord willing, we're going to pick up here and be finished today with this series. And uh, so if you have your Bibles open and you're ready to, uh, to begin this morning, Acts chapter 13, looking with me in verse 13. In verse 13, the Bible says, Now when Paul, uh, now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, uh, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, uh, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And sat down. Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of thy word today. Uh, Lord, we pray that you bless your message this morning to the, the ears of the hearers. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be opened up. Uh, Father, that we would hear from you. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, speak to each and every one of us, dear God, and, and just meet us where we need to be met today. Uh, Lord, if we be found wanting in the eyes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of where we typically will be, I pray, Father, that you'd meet those needs today. And Lord, I pray that conviction was set in our heart, dear God, that we may draw closer to you every step of the way. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for who and what you are. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So as we get into this fourth lesson today, guys, we want to understand that there are three ways to look at every Scripture, okay? Three applications, if you will. There's a historical application. So when you look in verse 13 and you say, what's the historical application? Well, the reality is this actually happened uh, uh, to the Apostle Paul over 1,900 years ago. Uh, They really and truly, uh, it became Paul and his company. Uh, They they lose from Paphos. They they went to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them. So this is something that actually happened in history. Just like whatever happened to you yesterday in history, that's a historical application. There's a spiritual slash practical application, which is our second application to every scripture. Uh, We find that it's more than Paul being in Perga and John Mark departing. There's a spiritual lesson here, but there's also a practical lesson. And these are not necessarily one and the same, but we combine these two, if you will. It means that I apply in my life what I'm reading. What can I learn from this scripture? How can it warn men? uh, And what can it teach to me today? How can it warn you of, uh, of someone being with you in the ministry that is going to depart early? So all scripture can be interpreted this manner in these applications. But the third one is the doctrinal application. Um, you know, we understand that all Scripture is not applied uh, doctrinally to you and I, or to anyone, to be honest with you. And uh, reason being, what is it? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. Amen? That's how you're saved today. You believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't go out and kill a turtle dove uh, for the sin against your neighbor. You don't go and sacrifice a, a, a lamb, of which we have plenty in this country. Uh, you don't sacrifice a lamb. You don't do any of those things today uh, to hold to your salvation or to keep you secure or to cover your sins. For Jesus Christ has cleared cleansed us from our sins only when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. Do you understand? That's a doctrinal application. And so the Old Testament has doctrinal applications that can be practical and spiritual to us. We know there's a historical application because it's already happened. And you say, well, how can every scripture have a historical application when it deals with something that has yet to happen? Well, that's a good question. If you were thinking that today, that's called a prophetical um, historical application. Very, very simple. 
We understand the book of Revelation is true, and every single thing that happens in Revelation is going to happen uh, in this world one day. The church, if you're the bride of Christ, if you are born again today, you will not be here uh, for what happens in the tribulation period, as we know, or Daniel's 70th week, okay? And uh, Revelation depicts four trips through that tribulation period. So those have a doctrinal application to Israel. Uh, They have a practical application to Israel and to who's alive that day. But they have a historical application, but something that which has not happened in our life. But since God is looking through the scope of history, knock me down just a little bit, uh, looking through the scope of history uh, from the end to the beginning, we understand uh, that it's already happened. And so there's a great amount of movement in these two verses that we're looking at this morning that we should finish this series off with. There's a, there's, there are major accomplishments which lead to a, a major change in roles of the ministry. We see what happens. On, you know, Paul saved for 14 years. He suffered loss of all things. They teach for a year. Him and Barnabas there at... Um, in Antioch, uh, which is in Syria, not Pisidia. And so uh, uh, we see that he spent three years in Damascus, 15 days with Peter. We know that he goes into Arabia and receives by revelation, uh, you know, his ministry from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it all works up to this point to where this very first missionary journey happens in the Isle of Cyprus. They set loose from Seleucia, they land in Salamis, and then they traverse the country and end up in Pavis. And now they depart there into Pamphylia, Perga and Pamphylia, and John Mark leaves. And it's going to occur in the rest of the Apostle Paul's life when everything is going right, when some major accomplishments happen in the Scriptures, when success is seen, suddenly trouble follows. It always shows up. There's always trouble when a man leaves the ministry, always. There are always complications that follow. There are families who get hurt and and favor, if you will, to decipher. People never realize the damage control which must go on when someone leaves the ministry. Or or we can even put it, it's not always someone just leaving the ministry. Uh, If someone leaves the church, there's usually problems that follow, or there's problems that brought about to leave the church. When people are widely unfaithful to the church, it hurts the local body. Do you understand? It hurts. I understand we have the technology. I understand that. But when we put things in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, his church, of which he died for and established, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church. And you want to say, well, that's a universal, that's a universal body. Don't buy into that. Jesus Christ died for the local New Testament church. You understand that here this, this morning. And so when those things happen, there is always some form of damage control that goes into play when people put other things in front of the Lord. There's two reasons that we know for the fact of why John Mark leaves the ministry. And uh, although there there are few without reasonable doubt, I understand, uh, but but we'll look at just a couple here. Look at Acts chapter 12 with me, just real quick. Turn one page over. It may be on the same page, depending on how big your font is. If you have a giant print, maybe three pages over. But Acts chapter 12 and in verse 12, the Bible says that when he had considered the thing, he came to, to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now we know that John Mark returned to his mother, who is Mary, which is the sister of Barnabas. And this is why it's so important that Christ becomes number one in your life. It is so important that, that you crucify uh, our affections to the mission field of the Lord Jesus Christ because there's going to be a draw. You're saying, well, preacher, should I forsake my family? I'm going to tell you, no, you shouldn't forsake your family, but I'm going to tell you this, they shouldn't come in between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? 
You should draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. You should set some non-negotiables in your life, some boundaries in your life. Amen? Uh, we, we've had these, uh, again, 24 years Denise and I have been married and I've been going to church uh, much longer than that. And, and uh, when we would have friends or family come into town, if they come in on ch- church day, you can come or you can stay. It's up to you, but we're going to church. We don't, we don't get interrupted by that. And, and that's just the way it is, you understand. And so we know that John Mark goes back to his mother, goes back to Mary. Turn over to Acts chapter 15. So there'll be a couple pages uh, forward there to the right. Acts chapter 15 real quick. I want you to see uh, some, of the, some of the problems, some of the reasons we find uh, John Mark leaving, okay? And, and again, this is just kind of a preface, if you will. Uh, John Mark, uh, Acts 15, look in the latter few verses, verse 38. And they're getting ready for their second mission journey here. And the Bible says in verse 38, But Paul thought not good to take with him. Speaking of, of John, if you think, look at verse 37. Barnabas was determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from the Pamphylia, you know, watch these last few words, and went not with them to the work. So, so Paul was very specific to this point. He didn't say, I don't want to take John Mark because I don't like him. I don't want to be around him. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't say that. It's important to understand uh, what, Paul, what Paul is being very specific about. He mentions that John Mark went not, to, not, went not with them to the work. So either he did not want to work or he just wanted to go home to mama, one of the two. Either which way about it, it was a distraction and a deterrent from John Mark continuing in on the mission field. Matthew Henry wrote in the 16th century, he said, John Mark either did not want to work or just wanted to go home to his mother. So it's not just me saying that. Guys, well-known famous theologians have said this as well. Now, the gospel, what happens? The gospel comes out. We're talking about the regions beyond. I guess i got to get to that slide there, that regions beyond slide. We want to continue in on this, uh, this series. The gospel now has come throughout the Middle East as we know it. It, it's, it's in, it started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, uh, went to Samaria, and now it has begun to expand to the uttermost parts of the world, that fourth column of the missions, if you will. Paul is the chosen vessel to take that gospel to the regions beyond. It makes its way up to, out to Antioch, Assyria, the first Gentile church, uh, preached there in Seleucia. It comes over to the Isle of Cyprus, and the gospel is being preached and is being spread throughout that entire island, which is Barnabas's uh, home uh, land, by the way. And so then they sail and go to Pamphylia. Into Perga, the gospel now moves north into the Asian continent, guys, Asia Minor as we know it. And so when we see there in verses 13 to 14, we always talk about a Friday the 13th, if you will. Everybody's superstitious about Friday the 13th, right? And uh, if Paul ever had a Friday the 13th, now I don't know if it was Friday when he left, this was it. It's found in Acts 13, 13. When he went into Perga, just like he did when he, went to, when he came into Paphos, but we read these verses, we read them slowly, we examine the placement of where the colon is, it meaning there's a, there's a pause. It means that we're to think about these things. If you go back there in verse 13, now when Paul and his company loosed from Pavis, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and we got a colon there, and it shows what's to follow once it got into Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. Uh, one would get the idea that they were intending on staying in Perga for a good while. And, uh, and there's three thoughts that, we, that are working here in verses 13 and 14. Uh, they came, John Mark departed, and they departed. I don't, I don't know, but something changes Paul's plan. Ultimately, it changes his direction. Something occurred for Paul to change the direction and move 100 miles inland 
in, uh, inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Something happened here. So the first thing that I want us to see here uh, in our scriptures today in verse 7 is we're going to see an abrupt change of counsel. An abrupt change of counsel. And, and this is the thoughts on the reason for this change. Back in verse 7 of Acts 13, if you'll turn there with me real quick, and you'll hold your place in verses 13 to 14. We'll primarily look at 13. But in verse 7, it says, and well, which was uh, with the deputy of the country, Sir Gaius Paul, a prudent man, who called for, watch this, Barnabas and Saul. Now, I know we've touched on this previously uh, before, both in lessons as well as uh, in this series as well. But remember, when they went over there, Many verses contain Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul, okay? And then verse 13 happens real quick, and this is after the blinding and after this and that. Now it's Paul and his company. And from this point forward, there's a change of leadership. And any time there is a sudden, uh, drastic change in leadership, people will depart. They're going to. There were men who departed from King David. And served under King Saul. King Saul was the worst king that, uh, well, they, it was not a good king. I can't say he was worse than Ahab and some of the followers, but, but Saul was not a good king. He was a fleshly, carnal king. He was horrible. And yet men left David, a man after God's own heart, to go follow King Saul. Anytime there's an abrupt change, this happens. And it seems as if John Mark, guys, just simply did not want to train and did not want to serve under Paul. And you may say, well, why? I'm going to have you turn to Colossians chapter 4 this morning, and I want you to see here, we understand, uh, we know that John Mark is the, uh, the nephew of Barnabas, but why not see it in Scripture so you're not just taking my word for it? Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. You, you notice here, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, uh, saluteth you. Now watch this. And Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. Now, uh, we, we, can, we can touch this, uh, touch on that later, verse, verse 10 of chapter 4. But Paul had had to write letters to warn them, you know, that if you put John Mark, uh, if you put him in charge of anything, there's a good chance he's going to leave and he's just not going to start do his duty. He's just going to leave and depart from you. But now Paul is saying, and we'll touch on this at the end of the sermon today, Paul's saying, now I'm asking you to receive him, you know, because he had changed. And we, we'll see how John Mark earned his way back. John Mark, again, is the nephew of Barnabas, and it could have been that he simply did not mind serving under his uncle, yet now there's an abrupt change at leadership, and John Mark says, you know what, I'm out of here. Also now, uh, it's Paul and his company, and it indicates uh, there, there may have been more than those who just came into Paphos. You see, when they left Antioch, Syria, there was three of them, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. But now it almost seems as if uh, they had won souls to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were taking them with them when they departed. Paul loved to train young men for the ministry. He loved uh, teachable men who, would, who you can mold and shape uh, uh, after uh, uh, the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and send them out and, and put them in charge of places. But you cannot put somebody in charge of someone who's going to feel as if you know, they're only going to serve under one type of man. You, you, can't do, you can't put anybody in leadership who doesn't know how to be under leadership, do you understand? John Mark may have felt that it was too crowded, and maybe he was not going to receive the preaching time that he wanted, or the recognition and the spotlight he so desired. Uh, you know, I, I can remember, good night, uh, 20-some-odd years ago now, 
Uh, we had a man in our church, and we had, we had different ministries we had started in the church. I was a young preacher at the time. I was a young pastor. I was 29 years old, and uh, uh, we had, we had, we, I'd always had a jail ministry. We had a jail ministry going on. Uh, we had visitation ministry. We had a, a nursing home ministry that ran for the better part of 12 some odd years, and, and uh, it was a tremendous, tremendous ministry that we had there. We had one individual who was, who was kind of overseeing the nursing home ministry, and and uh, he had a meeting with me one time, and I can't remember what the, uh, the particulars of that meeting, but I know what it ended up being. I know what, what, what the reasoning ended up as we got into the meeting. And he actually told me, he said these words. He said, if this ministry is not important to the church, I don't want to do it. I said, then don't then. It was important to the church, but he wanted recognition for it. He wanted his name in the bulletin. He wanted to be heard. He wanted uh, us to give updates every single Sunday. He wanted, he wanted everybody to know, hey, he's the one in charge of the ministry. And I just simply, you know, I said, well, then don't then. I said, I'll take it. I'll do it. The pastor will do it. I'm doing everything. I'm doing all the, I'll, but I'll do it if I have to. And it was a shock to him because he thought he was going to be able to push me and to give and reckon, and I'm not like that. You're, that's not going to happen with me, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, if you come to me wanting recognition, I'll promise you, you will not get it, all right? I'm not going to do it. I will give credit where credit is due, but you are not going to force your hand in my life. Do you understand? And that's the way Paul saw things. That's the way Paul saw things. So for whatever the reason, John Mark, I don't know what it was. You know, Paul changed his direction because of what happened here with John Mark. There's an abrupt change of counsel. If you have time, if you can turn quickly to 2 Corinthians and uh, just look there with me real quick and, and notice what he says here. Um, we're going we're gonna to look here, you know, as we get into this journey, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, and just look down to verse 26, and again, I know it seems like we have looked in Second Corinthians 11 quite a bit lately. I, I preached twice out of there using it as references. I'm going to use it tonight. Uh, I don't necessarily know why, but nonetheless it is. Uh, but verse 26 says, uh, in journeys, journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city. Uh, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren. And he goes on in verse 27, he says, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and in thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So guys, they begin this hundred mile journey from Perga to Antioch of Poseidon. All right? And, and, and this, this area of the place was notoriously dangerous. It was known to be a notoriously dangerous journey. And it would take a couple weeks for them to get there. It's a narrow mountainous terrain that requires them to cross 11 rivers to get there. Not only, uh, not all of which would have bridges to cross. And, and uh, to make it worse, history reveals that this region was home to the band of uh, roving vigilantes known as the Pisidian Highlanders. And, and you see that in verse 26 there, in perils of robbers, Paul says. They would rob and kill anyone at will and march back into the treacherous mountains to hide. The Roman army, guys, could not defeat them because of the wicked terrain. And therefore, the Romans built the city of Antioch of Pisidia to help protect the people. It was a Roman colony built for this very purpose to protect them from these highlanders, these robbers. Alexander the Great feared them more than any other army he ever faced. And yet now we find Paul and his little band of missionaries traveling into the regions that legions were afraid of. All for the sake of the gospel. All for the sake to take the gospel to the regions beyond. 
And John Mark stood still, listening to Paul's change of plans. John Mark stood still and willing to do mission work as long as it was easy. He was willing to do mission work as long as people wasn't being uh, slapped in the eyeballs, being blinded, if you will, like, like uh, Bar- Bar-Jesus was. He was willing to do mission work as long as he could turn the other cheek as he personally heard Jesus Christ preach. He was willing to do mission work as long as he could stay next to his uncle. You see, he wanted nothing to do with the dariness. He wanted nothing to do with the difficulty, the danger, or even the discomfort at this time. Remember Paul's words, and Luke was not present for much of the accounts of the book of Acts. Therefore, Paul is likely the one who have dictated them, as well as Peter, we know. Uh, his, Paul's words were that John Mark did not go with them to the work. Can I tell you that the ministry, whether you're a pastor or whether you're in the pews, it is hard work. And most people today will not get, get dirty and will not work for the preaching of the gospel. There is much work in gospel as, in the, as there is in preaching. There is a great amount of work involved in the ministry. It is not just preaching. And many people will preach, but few will go to the work. So there was an abrupt change of counsel. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Now then, this is the gospel written by John Mark. Mark chapter 14. And I want you to see that there's an abrupt change of counsel. An abrupt change of counsel. I'm sorry, of character. Of character, we've already covered counsel. Mark in chapter 14, I want you to see something here. Read verses 47 through 52. This is a neat little golden nugget for you today. Verse 47 through 52. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now we know that's Peter, and he whacks off Malchus's ear. Verse 48, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with stains to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Verse 51, and there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and, and he had left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. You know what's interesting about that? We know the account. That's the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus Christ, led by um, Judas Iscariot. But the only, verses 51 and 52, is only present in Mark's gospel. I would say a personal touch by the author. John Mark knew the principal men in the New Testament. He knew Jesus Christ in the flesh. He knew Barnabas, obviously his uncle. He worked with Peter. No doubt Peter was John, uh, uh, one John Mark to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course he knew Paul. No doubt, uh, matter of fact, it was, it was Mary's house that they were praying in when Peter was miraculously turned loose from prison. That he, uh, The angel of the Lord led him out and they were in there praying. Remember, a damsel came to the door, and they said, Whoa, this has got to be a spirit here. His ghost is here, because we believe he's dead, but we're still praying nonetheless. John Mark was there. It's believed that though that character, that little young man with a linen cloth in verse 51-52, is John Mark himself, a little personal touch that he adds of himself there. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And just to give you a little heads up, guys, I'm watching my time this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, look in verse 13. We know that Peter worked with John Mark. John Mark worked with Peter and learned. He says there in verse 13, the church that is in Babylon. Now let me go ahead and let let you know that's not Rome, by the way. Uh, That's speaking of Babylon right there in the Middle East. 
The church that is in Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. So this is the indication that we understand that it's his spiritual son. Just like Paul referred to Timothy as his son. It wasn't his, his uh, biological son. Neither was Marcus. So undoubtedly, uh, we find that John Mark was working and serving with Peter. Probably, Peter's the one that won him to the Lord. He refers to him as my son. Babylon and Iraq is where they were working. Peter, Peter knew John Mark's family very well. I mean, it, 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 it's the first place uh, that he goes when the angel of the Lord freed him from prison after James was killed. I tell you, turn to Colossians with me real quick. Let's look at one more verse here, and then we'll, we'll move along this morning. Colossians in chapter 4, we'll go back there as we've already read that verse. Colossians 4 and verse 10. We've already seen this verse, but Aristarchus, my fellow servant, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandment. If he come unto you, Paul says, receive him. Of course, again, Barnabas was his uncle. The character of these three men that, 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 that John Mark knew, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He knew him personally. Peter is the son of a fisherman and actually a, uh, is fairly p- a passive man. But he has, he has the sense that he wants everyone to like him or that, or that he would like to, to please everyone. And <clears throat> I mean, poor old Peter said more stupid things uh, than harsh ones and all. He was always just saying something before he thought. And John Mark had no problem working under these three gentlemen. He had no, no problem working under Jesus Christ. Or Barnabas, who's called the son of consolation. He, you know, Barnabas didn't want to offend anyone. But Paul had a rougher nature about him. When there was a change of counsel, there was a change of character in this leadership. Uh, it, it, he, it was a darker, stronger, more afflicting side than any of these other men. And many, uh, many, of, us, uh, many of us have had coaches in the past who had the ability to make your stomach growl while they made you eat dirt, if you will. But they made you stronger. Amen. They pushed you further, and most of us became men today in the way that we are, and we became successful, and we've sunk in our heels into the sand and said, I'm not going to be moved because of those type of men in our life. Amen. We don't find a passivity with Paul. It's different. So there's a change of character. There's a change of counsel. And then there's an abrupt change of conflict. And there's a good chance that the conflict that occurred in Cyprus scared John Mark senseless. I, and guys, I'm not saying all these things to, to uh, down John Mark. John Mark left the work. He should have never done that. He, shouldn't have, he should not have left them high and dry. He was independable. His integrity is called into question. He shouldn't have done it. And he will spend the next 22 years proving himself to the man of God that he has changed. You see... That conflict that is going to happen in everyone's life one way or another, that's the beauty of Acts 13. Acts 13 is not a respecter of persons. It's not just for preachers. It's for those who are saved and born again of the blood of Christ. You say, well, preacher, I'm just going to sit on the pew and just kind of soak it in, sit back and do nothing, and you know, it'll leave me alone. No, it won't. You're, all, you're going to face what you see in Acts 13. Most of you probably already have. Here's a young man who is, who's used to the mild mannerisms around the tea table, sitting shotgun to Paul and, and Bar-Jesus, getting, a, uh, you know, getting it on. Bar-Jesus yells at Paul about the Word of God. Paul yells at him, calling him the child of the devil. Bar-Jesus is full of the devil. Paul's full of the Holy Spirit of God. And the next thing you know, Paul calls down the wrath of God on this man, and he's blind for a season, walking and bumping into things. John Mark sees all these things. 
He sees the judgment of God fall upon this wicked sorcerer and realizes the ministry is much more than preaching. I've told you time and time again, guys, this is war. People are getting hurt, he says. He now says, I wonder how mom's doing. I think I'll go home and see her. There's an abrupt change in conflict. There's an abrupt change of care. An abrupt change of care. Paul did not rest very much. Paul was not someone, this is just food for thought this morning. His nature was not to care for his body in the manner others would. It's about two to four months now on the journey when they are leaving Paphos and they are on their second boat trip. Plans and directions change and all Paul wants to do is work, 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 work. And then after he gets done doing some work, he wants to do some more work. That was Paul's nature. The author Ramsey said the climate of Perga was tropical, that it was so tropical that when newcomers would arrive, they would suffer severe fevers and fainting Caesars. And Paul says, let's go there. Paul had a habit of working until the Lord would shut down his body in order for him to rest. And he would rest up a couple of weeks, get refreshed with the Lord. You know what he'd do? He'd do it again. Paul did most of his best writing, or most of his writing in general, when the Lord shut his body down and made him sick. So what's the rest of the story in Acts 13? What's the rest of the story with John Mark? When John Mark departed the ministry here in 48 AD, and yet somewhere in between 62 and 64 AD, Paul writes uh, his letter to Philemon from a prison house in Rome. And in Philemon, he refers in verse 24, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, he refers to Marcus as a fellow laborer. This is 14 years later. Paul says, he's a fellow laborer with me. Peter was in Babylon in AD 60, and it, was, it may have been that John Mark made the trip to visit, uh, may have, uh, made the, the trip to visit uh, with Paul while he was in prison and, and to, in Rome, and, and maybe to get things right with him. I, I don't know, but we've already read Colossians 4:10. Uh, we've already read it twice. We won't go back there. But Paul tells the churches now of whom you've received letters. In other words, man, listen, you've heard a warning before. I told you that if he comes, man, he's a good guy, he's a great fellow, but you can't depend on him because he'll leave you high dry now they're saying paul says you need to receive him you need to receive him see there's something about getting things right with people that you've wronged getting things right with the local new testament church when you've wronged it paul said receive him paul was a a forward man in speech and in writing he recommended john mark to the church 14 years later he had departed uh, uh, that he had departed from the work and that means that mark stayed in and proved himself unto the man that he left behind well over a de- almost a decade and a half before. John Mark had lived under this stigma that he would leave you for all these years. The chances were likely, I mean, that the church would not have received him had Paul not wrote that letter and put that in the very end. The Lord is much more forgiving than we are many a times, guys. I mean, with each other, we tend to hold to things. But when we get things right, they need to be put aside. We need to make them rise. In AD 68, we know that Paul would be beheaded. Now, depending on who you read and who you decide that it is, Paul's final letter is either written in AD 66, two years prior to his beheading, his execution, or it's written in the very year. I personally lean toward the fact uh, that it was written in the year that he was killed. 18 to 20 years later, John Mark had departed from the man of God And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, 
Paul says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Two decades later, Paul says he's profitable to me for the ministry. There is no no greater exclamation John Mark would ever receive from that point forward. And what it shows you guys, it it shows each and every one of us, not only are we going to experience uh, when we take the gospel to the regions beyond, not are we going to experience what we see in, in Acts chapter 13 in our own personal lives, but it goes to show that when you, when you foul up, when you mess up royally, give yourself some time, but stay in the battle. You can get it right. Just give yourself time to stick it in. We are so quick to quit today. We are so quick to say, man, I, I've fallen short, i skipped out. I mean, guys, I know people that's been to church two times in the past three months for, because there's been a change in their life. Guys, change happens in all of our lives. We just got to sink our heels in and get back to work. John Mark got back to work. He served with Peter in Babylon in AD 68. Oh, John Mark was worthy enough and faithful enough to be martyred in Alexandria, Egypt. They say that as they were dragging him to his death, he died. That They dragged him by horseback throughout the city. So, beloved, I'm here to say this to you this morning. He messed up in the beginning of his ministry. But in order for the gospel to go to the regions beyond today, even if you have messed up time after time after time again, if you will just stay in there, if you will just tough it out, if you'll just get back and get into the work, sometime or another, God's going to say, you know what? He or she is profitable unto me for the ministry. And beloved, that's what it takes to get the gospel to the regions beyond. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father, we do thank you for what you've done, for who and what you are. We ask of you this morning to please rest your mighty spirit upon our hearts. We thank you for the message, Lord. We thank you for this 13th chapter of the book of Acts. We simply ask you this morning that if you will, Lord, meet with us. Help us ponder on it. Help us look back over the last four lessons, the four messages. Help us be not uh, weary in well-doing, but help us be warned, Father, in the midst of this war. And I pray that we would move forward steadfast. No matter where we may be in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, dear God, that we would learn from that which we've heard, that we would take a stand and do the right thing. In Jesus Christ's glorious name, we ask all of these things. Amen. I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God has been a blessing to your heart and your soul this morning. All right, so if you will, let's grab us a hymnal this morning, guys. Very timely, sir. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel, and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall, and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today, by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even more simple 
answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.